Welcome to the Washington Church Toledo Podcast. Together, we are learning to encourage one another to walk with God through cultivating a personal relationship with Jesus the Christ. This podcast consists of recordings from our Sunday morning worship services and other teaching events that you are more than welcome to come join us live. Everybody, it's good to uh, come back together. I was just sitting there in the back, just reflecting in prayer, spending time with the Lord. And um, I would imagine your life is probably similar to mine in many respects in that there's not a lot of space for that that's going on in an intentional way where we're carving out time just to sit before the Lord and just allow ourselves to be encouraged. And, and so, um, so for some of us, sitting through whatever it was, half an hour, 20 minutes of worship might feel like it's long or we're not used to it or we're not accustomed to it because we're used to three songs and then sitting down. And, um, and that's at some point the church, that's where we got to. Um, but there is something about coming before the Lord and just not having an agenda and just being in spaces like this that I think are just good for our souls. So, so I'd encourage you, well done for being here. Keep, keep creating those spaces in your life just to experience the Lord in, in this way. Um, it's good to gather on Sunday mornings. It's good to, to have that space. But it's also good to be in places like this. And, and you can do that at home on your own. You can shift that around um, to make it a priority. But I would encourage you to make it a priority. Something about that. Um, our speaker tonight, I get to introduce her. Uh, Savannah is her name. And she and I have gotten to know each other through being a part of a um, pastors and leaders group that meets uh, monthly um, in the city of Toledo. And for, for years, this ministry has been going on. It's, it's always a wonderful thing. I, I can't always make it. It's at a hard time for me schedule-wise. But when I do, I'm always blessed by it. Um, and uh, one of the things I've come to appreciate is just getting to know other leaders in the city, not just pastors, but leaders in the city. And Savannah is one of those. She's the director of the Pregnancy Center of Toledo in town. And, and that is, um, that's got to be a challenging job. Um, one of those things, it's, uh, there's nothing like running nonprofits. That is really hard, you know, fundraising and staff and, and wanting to be able to pay people more when you can't. And, um, but seeing the fruit of that and, and her ministry in that way, and that, that is a huge part of her ministry. Um, but it's just a, been a blessing, whether it's spend time praying together, getting to know each other. We met a couple of weeks ago to talk about coming here and I invited her and uh, we sat down. We'd never done that before. And I got to hear more about her life. And she got to hear more about my life. And, um, and it was just good. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about her is, is um, her just passion for the Lord comes out. Her passion for worship. Her passion for prayer. Her passion for seeing people come alive in Christ. Um, her passion for being led by the Spirit of God is evident in her life. And, and so um, that's, that's why I wanted to invite her to come and... Uh, and speak to us and just share about how God's moving in her life, how she's submitted herself to, to the movement of the Spirit of God um, and what that's done for her and how that's transformed her life. So I want to invite Savannah to come on up here and share her with us tonight. So the common word there was passion. And after our time together, you will realize that that is my middle name. <laughs> I also really enjoy props. So, tonight we're going to talk about presence and fruit. <laughs> presence and fruit. 
um, I had an encounter with the Lord at the beginning of this year and I made a commitment uh, to him that I want to honor uh, before we dive in. Um, and that encounter was really on um, the preciousness of God's word and just understanding how deeply, deeply um, needed and necessary the word of God is. Um, and, and the commitment that I made was in any opportunity that I had to uh, speak to people that I would call people to a place of just loving the word of God. Um, you know, we are in an hour where if we don't understand the word of God, um, that being, you know, led astray, uh, tossed to and fro, I mean, we're seeing that, you know, I think even in the last decade, you know, looking at where our, you know, our, our world is right now and seeing how, you know, people are compromising on the word of God. And so uh, my charge to you is um, if you are not um, deeply rooted in the word of God, um, that you would, that you would begin to cultivate a habit of being in his word. And the, the cool thing about this is um, that the beginning of John says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. And so even as we gather in this place and we talk about this idea of encounter, the reality is, is that Jesus is the word of God. And I don't understand how the whole thing works. I, ha I don't know about you guys, but I have a list. <laughs> it's on my phone. Not that I get to take my phone to heaven with me, but sometimes I just, I don't know. I'm such a like list person and I'm like, I don't know, maybe I'll forget. Maybe somehow it'll just be transported with me. I don't know how all this works, but how many of you guys have like either on your phone or in a journal or a mental list of things that you want to ask God when you get there? <laughs> I have like, I mean, it's a pretty long, it's a pretty long list. Um, you know, so like 12 spies, like I, I have lots of questions about <laughs> the 12 spies. I have, I just have like all, I just have these questions. And one of these questions is um, about like the receiving of the word through the apostles and like how, how is that process? I'm totally a process person. Um, and like, how did this like person named Jesus, who is the word, John tells us is the word, um, become this like written thing that we call the, the Bible. And so that's one of, one of my questions that I have for him. And so I don't know now <laughs> how that whole thing works, but the reality is, is that um, when we sit with the word of God, that it is both the, the logos, the written word of God, which is given to us um, that we might um, understand the statutes and the character of God and that we might apply those things to our lives to live in a manner that's worthy of the calling that he's bestowed upon us. But also he is, the, when we sit with that, we also have the, the rhema word of God, which is the, the encounter, the encounter of the word of God, which is really when Jesus shows up um, and reveals to us things that are beyond the written pages. So I always say the, you know, the logos is the stuff that's written down and the rhema is the stuff that is behind it. And, and the cool thing is, is that as we get into this process of wanting to know more about, about God and his spirit, which is infinite, and we can do it for our whole entire lives, the word of God is like a wall. So we, we are, we're 
entering into this place and, and, and we're searching out the deep mysteries of God and, and he's telling us his secrets because we're his friend. And then we bump into this thing that's a wall because God's word is true and he's not a man that he would lie. And so when we have a thought or an experience that's outside of the word of God that we know we've actually crossed over a boundary line. You know, Psalms um, says that the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Indeed, I have an, a beautiful inheritance. And so we know that we can explore the, the spiritual capacities and mysteries of heaven in the safety of knowing God's word because he's never going to lead us outside of the pasture of his word. Um, and so if that isn't uh, a, a thing in your life that you're doing right now, like it, feel, it can feel so um, enormous. Like where do you start? Um, so like a process person, I just started at the beginning. <laughs> I literally started in Genesis. Um, and I've been in Genesis. I was in Genesis um, January through May, um, went into Exodus May through um, the end of October and just started Leviticus. Um, and I'm telling you, um, I was, I loved Genesis. I've always loved Genesis. I was a little bit intimidated by Exodus, loved Exodus, probably now one of my favorite books of the Bible, um, and was ultra intimidated by Leviticus. I was like this, like who wants to end the year during Christmas reading Leviticus? <laughs> but I'll tell you what, it's been such a gift because every time I open that Bible, Jesus is right there. And as I'm reading about the sacrifices, like the only thing that I can see is, is how God in his infinite wisdom was pinning this story, knowing that he was going to send his son, Jesus. And it's like every other word is Jesus. And so I just encourage you, if that is not a vibrant part of your life right now, it isn't a luxury, it's a necessity. There's no way that we can live in this day and age outside of his word. And why would we ever want to? It's how we get to experience him now. So I want to talk to you guys tonight about gifts and fruit. So gifts, we all love receiving gifts, right? Is there anyone here that doesn't like receiving gifts? No, because you don't? Gosh, really? We'll pray for you afterwards. <laughs> we'll pray for you after. <laughs> so the idea of, of gifts um, and, and specifically gifts of the Spirit is uh, something that is, is so uh, of interest to me and it's a passion of mine um, because Ephesians 4 actually tells us that the distribution of the gifts of the Spirit is actually a testimony that Jesus is who he says that he is. So Ephesians 4 says, um, you know, as it is written, he ascended, um, and as he ascended, he also had to have descended, um, and he ascended to the high place, leading a captive, uh, our train of captives, distributing gifts. And we know that that is out of the book of Psalms, that it's actually a fulfillment of the prophecy um, that David wrote in Psalms. But the reality is, is that what that says to us is that Jesus is who he says that he was, that he did descend that he did earn the keys to death and hell. And after he descended, he also ascended. And as he ascended, he took those, this is, a, this is war terminology, and I don't, I'm not a war connoisseur. <laughs> um, but I know enough 
that I know that this is war terminology. And, and, and as you would have been reading in Psalms and, and later um, in, in Ephesians, you would, they would recognize um, that this is a, a victorious king. Because that's what a king in victory did. He would, he would go into battle, often descending into the valley place, into the low place, and he would wage war on his enemies, and then he would plunder. After winning, he would actually plunder the, the enemy's territory, and he would take their bounty, come back, and as a proclamation to his people, he would distribute the, the, the gifts that he brought back from the enemy's camp. And so we see this picture in Ephesians 4 that, that the distribution of, of spiritual gifts is actually the very testimony that Jesus is the victorious king who went into the enemy's territory, raided the gates of hell, took all the booty, and came back and distributed it among men. And we see that there are multiple chapters where it talks about the gifts of the spirit. In Ephesians 4, it talks about the fivefold offices. Um, so the fivefold offices are actually the, the, the teachers of teachers. They're the apostles of apostles. They're the prophets of prophets. That they actually are the ones who instruct, that they have been given a, a life anointing to be the, the teachers of teachers, the prophet of prophets, the, the evangelist of evangelists, you know, and, and all of these things. And um, but we also know that there's anointing in the fivefold, that, that we can um, have an anointing of, of prophecy, that we can have an apostolic anointing. Um, and then we know that we can actually walk in these giftings, that oftentimes when someone is holding an, an, an office of, of, of prophecy or an office of teaching, and as they're teaching people, that people then begin to receive an anointing to teach. And then because they're receiving an anointing to teach and they're teaching people, often people now can begin to operate in the gifts of teaching. These are the gifts um, that are laid out in Ephesians 4. We have the gifts in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. And later on, um, in our, our in our, before in Romans 6 through 8. And these are the gifts of, of helping the gifts of serving, the gifts of hospitality. My, one of my favorite gifts, um, one that I am really pressing in and asking the Lord to cultivate in my life is the gift of hospitality. Because um, how many of have you have ever been into someone's home and you're like, man, like they have the gift of hospitality. And it's not about the like nice things that they have or like how much stuff from Target they recently bought or like the new charcuterie board that they've got. And like the food that they prepare, there's something behind that. Have you guys experienced that when you come into someone's home and you're like, man, or even just someone's presence? Um, and, and the Lord showed me earlier this year that, that the reality of the gift of hospitality is that they're atmosphere shifters. Like people that have the gift of hospitality know to, how to set an atmosphere. So I've been in this place where I'm like, man, like I want to be an atmosphere setter. I want to be a table setter. Because powerful things happen at the table. So I'm pressing in. It's not something that I've, I've walked in. Um, I had a lot of wrong mindsets about what hospitality was that I've had to break off and, and receive deliverance for. Um, and, and as I'm taking off those wrong mindsets, the Lord is giving me his vision uh, for what that, that gift is. This is where we see the gift of leadership and administration. We see the supernatural gifts like prophecy and workings of miracles. But here's the thing about gifts, that we, in and of ourselves, we can't make the gifts happen. 
The gifts are something that, that are given to us. In fact, the Bible says that the gifts are given without repentance, which that's, that is on my list as well. Like, <laughs> Jesus, things would be a lot better down here if you would wait. <laughs> like if you would wait and give people gifts <laughs> after repentance, things would be a lot cleaner down here. But he's not intimidated by mess. Like that's the thing I love about our God is that like we get really intimidated by mess, but God is not intimidated by mess. In fact, he's attracted to it. Um, and so for whatever reason, and he's, G, you know, he's God, he gets to do whatever he wants to do. When we accept Jesus as our savior, you know, unfortunately in, in Western Christianity, we've, we've combined it into, into this idea that he is our savior, which he is our savior. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we're able to enter into the presence of God both now and eternally. But when you read that verse, it actually has two parts. It's that we would uh, receive him as Lord and Savior. And my fear is, is that we have lost the understanding of the Lordship of Jesus. That, you know, Jesus, who has all authority given to him by the Father, um, that he has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. And that's totally fine. I mean, the sooner that we get our heads wrapped around that, the less pain in this life we actually endure when we just acknowledge like Jesus you are you are king and you are lord and it's your way or the highway <laughs> that there is there's actually no room for my way only room for your way the thing about that the the, the idea of gifts that 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 are bestowed upon us without repentance that there is nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to be that gift, to exercise that gift, that it is only through the leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the, distrib the distribution from Jesus to the Holy Spirit. That's what the, the train in Ephesians says. It says that through the authority of Jesus, by the distribution of the Holy Spirit, that they've set these gifts in men. And so there's nothing that we can do to get that gift. There's nothing that we can do. We receive it freely, but there's nothing in and of us. Like, I can't decide that I want to pray for you. And I'm like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all this stuff to like get this thing going. I mean, it actually just, it, it just exists. That when we are yielded to the Spirit, that those things flow out of us and those things are like dove chocolate right <laughs> right <laughs> the pearl was like wandering around like, i don't want to just put like a covid test in here or i was like looking through my like junk drawer and i'm like covid test that doesn't feel like an appropriate gift right now um i was like oh i've got dove chocolate felt like a really good prop for the gifts of the spirit who doesn't love a good <laughs> dumb chocolate um but the reality is is that you know if i'm holy spirit like i am you know distributing things to 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 people um, and people aren't reaching out and grabbing these things it's just through the divine nature of of who he is and so if if that's god's job like what's our job then like if our job is not the the uh the the prophecy making it happen if our job is not the making it happen job what is our job and our job is the stewardship our job is how we wrap the gift and unfortunately i think what we so often in our zeal come to is that we're so excited by the stuff on the inside and don't get me wrong like we should desire those things that's biblical 
The Bible says that we should desire all of the gifts most earnestly that we would prophesy. And I've come to the realization that the reason that Jesus asks us to desire all the gifts and most earnestly that we would prophesy is that that's what he created us for. Like it actually is a denial of who we are to turn ourselves. Like I, to me, that is one of the most devastating things that we see in Christianity today is the denial of the working of the, the, the gifts of the spirit because it's who God created us to be. And he gave us these things. It would be like getting a Porsche and leaving it in your driveway for your entire life. Like why? <laughs> like why? Like how heartbreaking that we're receiving these things that were costly. They were costly and we received them. But the reality is, is that we get really infatuated with the stuff on the inside. And we can desire that. We were, we were created to desire that. And the reason that he's asking us to even earnestly desire that we would prophesy is because that's how God releases his heart onto the earth. It's through the spirit of prophecy. We see that through the Old Testament and the New Testament, that that's how God releases his heart into the world is through the spirit of prophecy. And he so desperately wants to do that. But here's the reality. Like God can show up and speak. Like God shows up and speaks to me every single day. But you know why he wants to do it through his people? He's a father that is obsessed with taking his kids to work day. <laughs> like that's what this whole thing was about was the creation of people. Like he didn't need us. <laughs> Like, he doesn't need us. He wants us. And he wants to do it with us. But I think sometimes that, that desire unchecked becomes a, an obsession. You know, and it, and it feels good. Like, it feels good to give somebody a prophetic word and be on the money. Like, come on. Like, that's awesome. It feels good, like, to see like legs grow out like it feels good to like stand up here and deliver the word of God as a teacher like when we operate in the gifts that God gives us it feels good because it's part of who we are but unchecked it becomes this this fascination and we actually neglect the thing that God is asking us to set our focus on and that's how we wrap the gift and one of the most painful detrimental things to the kingdom of God are people who are infatuated with the gifts but have forsaken how the gifts are wrapped. That's how people get hurt. Come on, I have, I have been in that. I remember the very first time that somebody ever like laid their hands on me. They were like doing the like push thing and I was like, <laughs> and I kid you not, I went home that night and I violently threw up for the next 24 hours. Because that person was carrying something that they would refuse to deal with. And they then now are giving that to every single person because they were infatuated with what was on the inside of the box. So what does that mean? When we talk about being infatuated with what's on the outside of the, the box, it actually talks about stewardship. We talked a little bit about where the gifts of the Spirit are. But I want to focus on some of the scripture that surrounds because it's like five words or one sentence or one paragraph on the gifts. But if you actually read right before and right after, there's some really important stuff. 
So in, in terms of the fivefold, Ephesians, right before it gives the, the fivefold listing, it says this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have been given. That talks about integrity. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all. And then it goes on to list the, the fivefold giftings. Do you understand that if, if we get infatuated with the fivefold calling on the inside of the box, but we are not committed to walking a life worthy, how destructive that can be. And listen, it takes just as much Holy Spirit to walk in all humil humility and gentleness as it does to give a prophetic word. In fact, I would say it probably in this day and age probably takes a teensy bit more of the Holy Spirit to walk in all humility and all patience and all gentleness. That's what the Lord is concerned with. Right after the gift listings in 1 Corinthians, chapter 13 says this, suppose I speak in the language. So, so Paul literally just gives this gift, like exhorting that there are going to be people who talk in other languages. That is gnarly. <laughs> Let's really, really, really gnarly. <laughs> and then he says, not only are people going to talk in tongues that you don't understand that come from heaven, someone else on the other side of the room is actually going to receive divine interpretation for that. I've only seen that once and it was wild, 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 wild. I was like, Jesus is coming back right now. <laughs> so Paul writes this, and I can only imagine, do you guys ever stop and put yourself in the, the scriptures? And I, I can like sit there and I'm like, Paul is receiving this divine revelation of these gifts that he wants to distribute. And I, I can't even imagine like receiving this from the Lord and, and you're pinning it in and then he goes on to write this, so what? Suppose that I speak in the language of human beings and angels, but if I don't have love, I'm only a loud gong. I am a noisy symbol. Suppose I have the gift of prophecy. Suppose that I can understand all of the secret things of God, all of the secret things of God, and know everything there is to know about him. Suppose I have enough faith to move a mountain, raise dead people. This is my interpretation. <laughs> raise dead people. Creative miracles. Suppose that I could do all of that, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. I am nothing. We go on to the blip of the gifts in Romans, but it's sandwiched between this. It says, for the grace that has been given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourselves than you've ought to, but rather with sober judgment and according to the faith that has been distributed to each one of you. For just, of, uh, just as we are part of one body with many parts, and these parts do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body, it taught, then it goes into the gifts. It's just a simple, says, you know, if you, if you have prophecy, uh, the gift of prophecy, prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give an encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. 
And then it says this, it says, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor another one above yourself. Never lack zeal. Be joyful in hope and patient in affliction. Come on, it takes just as much Holy Spirit to give a prophetic word or stand up and to teach his word as it does to be firm in affliction, to be patient in affliction. As he is working salvation out in us, it takes the Holy Spirit. Come on, I have needed more Holy Spirit in my leadership in the last year and a half of my life. I have become so desperate. I have had mornings where I literally get up and say, if you do not go with me, there's no point in going. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with the lowly. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. Come on, we should be opening up our social media accounts and being just as desperate for the Holy Spirit before we type away. We wouldn't see the mess that we see now. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's okay for us to desire what's inside of the gift. We were created to walk in these things. A father loves to watch his child open up the gift and to play with it and to discover it. You know what the father loves even more? When the child brings the gift to him and says, Dad, Dad, tell me about this. You help me out. Whether it's the model car or the airplane or, or the swing set that you're building. Come on, those of you who are fathers know this. There's no greater joy than giving a gift to your child and that child bringing that gift back to you and saying, Dad, I need your help. Tell me about it. This thing needs batteries. How does it go? How does it work? But it's our job to be infatuated with how the gift is wrapped. And why is that? Because the reality is, is that the gifts that have been measured to you according by the Holy Spirit aren't for you. They're not for you. They're for somebody else. Your gift to teach isn't so that you can stand up here and look like you know things. It's because people need to hear the word of God taught to them. The gift of hospitality isn't so that people can come over and see how clean your house is or so that you can post pictures on social media about your cool leather couch and your cheese and meat tray. (laughs) It's so that you can set a table for people because powerful things happen around a table. Your gift of leading isn't so that you can ascend to the top of the corporate ladder. It's so that you can actually take people by the hand and disciple them into who Jesus has called them to be. See, friends, the gifts that we've been given aren't for us. They're for other people. And then when we become infatuated with with what is on the inside of the gifts, then we actually don't begin to give the gifts the way that God desired them to be give. Or we give gifts and they're wrapped in pride and self-righteousness and envy and sickness and greed. That's not a blessing. It's not a blessing and it's not who our God is. Every gift that we distribute should have the character of Jesus attached to it. 
Because if it's not that, I had this, this, um, this encounter one, um, one day, I got into uh, a bank and I was uh, making a transaction and uh, the woman at the, the counter, um, the bank teller, she was Muslim. She had a, a hijab on and um, she had a dish of candy in front of her, her little, little station and super awesome woman, um, really, really nice. And right before I left, she was like, hey, take, take a piece of candy with you before I go. And I was like, okay, <laughs> don't have to tell me twice. <laughs> Kara works at the other center and she knows I cannot pass up a good, <laughs> a good candy tray. And I got out to my car and the Holy Spirit said, see, that's the thing about gifts is that everybody can be generous. But there was no Jesus attached to that gift. There was no Jesus attached to that gift. Friends, as believers, it's our responsibility to attach the character of Jesus to every gift that we distribute. Whether it's through the gift of administration, the gift of helps, if it doesn't have Jesus attached to it, then there's no point. Because again, the gifts are the very testimony that we serve a victorious king who has plundered death and hell. And he's ransomed people back to himself. When I was praying this afternoon before I came here, I felt the Holy Spirit say this. If you want to see the gifts flowing out of your life, if you want to see the gifts flowing out of your life, lay down on the altar and set yourself on fire. If we want to see these things, it's actually the very call of Jesus that we would be like him, that we would nail ourselves to the cross, that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because the true manifestation of the Holy Spirit, the utilization on the gifts is all about pointing people to Jesus. And it can be so delightful and so fun, but it also can be deeply, deeply painful. I had a uh, moment once, so one of the gifts that I have grown in cultivating um, over my life is the gift of, of prophecy. I love to be able to ask the Lord, just like in Psalm 133, it says um, that the thoughts that he has concerning us far outnumber the grains of, you know, of, of sand. Um, and he knows all of the hairs on our head. And so I love to be able to just ask the Lord, like, what do you want to say? Like, what do you want to say to people? Because I've just found that what he has to say is so much better than what I have to say. <laughs> and I can't tell you, like, from leadership to, you know, in, in worship, as I'm, I'm leading worship, like, I've just seen that, like, it's actually just better when I let him say what he wants to say to people. Um, but we were out uh, praying for people on uh, the street one time, and we did a, a treasure hunt. So treasure hunt is you literally just like write down like all these random things that you feel like the Lord is saying to you. And then somehow it all works out. <laughs> so we were doing a treasure hunt and like somebody on my team had hospital. Somebody saw a picture of a cherry and I was like, there's a hospital on Cherry Street. Like that's where we're going and we're going to pray for sick people. So we get down there and I'm leading this group of people and they're mainly 
newer in their faith and they're like so we get down there and they're like what do we do and i'm like we go inside to the emergency room we pray for sick people <laughs> like this is probably one of the easiest restaurants i've ever been on like right inside the door there are sick people <laughs> and yes. we know somebody that can take care of that so we did we went inside and here's the deal like you know what jesus did more than heal physical bodies that day he encouraged people in their heart and it is equally it is equally a miracle when people are encouraged in their heart as they are when they're healed in their bodies. And so the reality, Heidi Baker says this, like I, like I don't take credit when God heals, so I don't, like dis, I don't take the discredit when God doesn't heal. Like that's his prerogative. Like he can heal when he wants and when he doesn't, like that's his prerogative too. And add it to your list and ask him when you get to heaven. Like, I don't know, but he gets to do that. But she, then she went on to say this. She said, um, so she lives in Mozambique, Africa. And she said, you know what we do? We go in and we pray for the blind and we pray for the deaf. And then we build houses, like ADA compliant houses for the blind and the deaf to live in. So the reality is, is that there's this ability for us to like tangibly serve people, like as we're believing for the healings of their body. So we went in, people you know, received just a touch from the Lord and we walk out and we're walking like past the hospital and this kid is sitting on a bench and um, somebody on my team, his name's Joshua, he's like, hey, I really think we need to stop and pray for this guy. So we stop and we pray for this guy and I had just seen a documentary and in this documentary it talked about um, like receiving prophetic words for people based off of their tattoos. So I have a couple of tattoos and I just like had this conversation with the Lord um, that I was like, it would just be really cool to like do that. Like I would love, like my tattoos mean a lot to me. They have stories. Um, and I feel like tattoos are actually a really excellent evangelism tool. So like the next time that you're like, man, I really feel like God's highlighting this person. If you have a tattoo, if they have a tattoo, like just walk up to them and ask them about their tattoos. Because if somebody has tattoos, like we love, we love to talk about our tattoos. <laughs> And then the cool thing is, is that like every tattoo has a story. Like every tattoo has a story. So then they start telling you your story. Now you're like hearing parts of their story and like, boom, open your road for us to be able to like share the gospel. So my friend Joshua is praying for this kid and he has his sleeve rolled up and I can see half of the tattoo. And it is a knight, like a knight in shining armor. And I was like, all right, God, like, let's do this. So God gives me this word. And I'm like so excited. I'm like jumping out of my chair. I'm like, I would love to receive this word. So Joshua gets down and I sit down next to this kid. And I'm like, hey man, can you like roll up your sleeve? Like I saw you have a tattoo and I have tattoos. I love tattoos. And he rolls it up and I kid you not, the tattoo is not a knight. It is a wolf in a top hat. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, God, like surely you could have corrected me. And I had a mole, like I had, I had like a split second to be obedient. And I felt like, man, like God, like I feel like I heard you. And so I just gave him, I'm like, that's a really cool tattoo. Hey bro, I feel like God, God has a word for you. And he was like, yeah. And it, essentially the word was um, that I felt like God had taken this guy on a journey and um, where he was landing that the king wanted to knight him, um, that he is royalty. And this kid literally like, falls into my lap and is like weeping uncontrollably and I'm holding him and I'm like okay I think this is I think this is on I think we're in the right place so essentially like what happened is this kid lives out west he's originally from the area and he hadn't seen his father in like 
over a decade and he said i literally hopped on the greyhound bus one day with this urge to like come find my father and i'm like but that's the thing like the gifts are never about us so like here it was that i had this desire because i thought it was cool and god's like savannah i don't care about you like i do but like in this moment like this isn't about you and here's the thing, like the gifts will always speak the other person's language because in that moment, it's never about us. It's always about them. And this is what the Holy Spirit said. If you want to see gifts flowing out of your life, lay down on the altar and set yourself on fire. It's about yieldedness, all-consuming yieldedness to God and the desire of his heart. See, God is more concerned with our character than he is our calling. You know, I, as, as a younger person, I'm seeing in, in my generation and in the generation that is coming up behind me, this infatuation with like, what's my purpose? Like, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? And I believe that every person has a unique calling on our life. We see that through Jeremiah and through the Psalms. But the reality is, is that our purpose as believers is to come and die, <laughs> that we might live, that we might die. <laughs> so we come to him that we, that we would die. We lay ourselves down in repentance and, and no longer in the lordship of our own lives. And, and he, he, he brings us to life. And then out of the response of being brought to life, we say, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And see that, that thing that's, what, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my purpose? What is my purpose? Is really my, 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 instead of going, God, what do you want to do? Yeah. What do you want to do? And see, I've had, you know, people come to me and they're like, I see, I see that God has, you know, done something in your life. And I want to know, like, how do I, how do I get to that point? And I'm like, I, I literally just woke up every day and said, yes. Like, I didn't have a master plan. I literally just woke up every morning and said yes. Like, when people are like, how did you get here? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, I literally just woke up every morning and said yes. I never applied for the position that I'm in. I didn't even apply for a job at the center. <laughs> like, I literally have just woken up every day and have said yes. And that's what I'm just going to keep doing. And so we have, you know, a culture and even a generation right now that is obsessed with, with, with purpose and with calling. And God's like, I'm actually concerned with character. Because purpose and calling void of character is a disaster waiting to happen. And we've all seen it, right? Like we've all seen people that have literally just like hit the nuke button because they were more concerned with the purpose and the calling and the gifts than they were about the, the inward posture of their heart and their life. But God is more concerned with character. And our character is our fruit. Galatians lays out the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I feel like I'm missing one. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in a second. <laughs> Here's the deal. The fruit of the Spirit and, 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 and the character that God wants to grow in our lives is not about self-improvement. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I feel like I see this like rampant and I know this at firsthand because I was in such severe bondage of this idea of self-improvement when I became a Christian. Like I want, and it was out of a pure heart. Like I wanted to be like Jesus. And I figured if I just, if I just (laughs) was kind enough, if I could just be kind enough, if I could just grit my teeth and be kind enough, and if I could memorize every scripture that there was about kindness, and if I could just be a little bit kinder, and I toiled and I toiled and I toiled and I, and I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled. And one day, I mean, I like pre-Jesus wild anger, like something that I just like saw was like this underbelly that I saw. And I did, I had these moments where I could like feel it rising up and, and the, 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 the purity of my heart was, I don't want to act like this. I don't want to act on these feelings. It was that that Paul moment, like I only do what I don't want to do and I, I want to do what I want to do, but I'm not doing what I don't, <laughs> you know. And and I'm having these moments in this, but I don't like this. It's like a creature living under the surface that I'm like whacking down. Like I don't want this thing to come up. And one day I'm in um, just the presence of the Lord and he said, Savannah, the only way that you are kind is when you when you are in my presence and you experience my kindness like you become kind by just sitting with me and getting to know me as the 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 kind god and when you experience my kindness like you actually can't help but be kind and i never like i mean i've been through some like hardcore deliverance in my life um but like in terms of like that thing that like anger that was like resting in my pit. Like I never went through deliverance on that. I just sat and I just looked at Jesus. And as I just experienced him as kindness, like kindness is not just like a character of God. Like he is kindness. Like his person is kindness. His, his person, like, like I'm like, hey, you're really kind. But like, that's not how it works with God. Like he's not the character of kindness. Like he is kindness. Like he's the embodiment of kindness. And so as I sat in his presence, like I just became more kind. And like, this was so revolutionary to me. Speaking of tattoos that I love to talk about. (laughs) I actually wrote on myself, like cease striving. Like cease striving. Because I've realized that the fruit is not about self-improvement. This isn't anything that we can muster up in ourselves, but that the fruit of the spirit, the the character that God is wanting to produce in our life is actually like an orchard. That it's stuff that's planted in our hearts the day that we receive the spirit and that we actually then just tend the garden of our heart with the Holy Spirit in his presence. And all of a sudden, like kindness grows. And in those moments where I need kindness, I'm not reaching out, like trying to like grab a hold of these 10 Bible verses and, and I had to fast and I'm not grabbing a hold of anything on the outside, but I actually just have this thing in my life and I can just pluck it off of the tree of kindness in my heart because kindness is just growing. Here's the deal. 
like everybody likes to go to the produce aisle or like Chilino's or the farmer's market and everybody likes to grab fruit. And that's like, like Saturday morning downtown at the farmer's market is like buzzing. Like it's full of life and everybody's grabbing all these good things and there's laughter and there's, but like, what about all the work that the farmer did? Like, what about all of the tending? And this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit said. It is in the mundane every day of our lives where no one's watching. It's not on the platform. Like the fruit of our lives is not produced on the platform or on the ministry or in the the exporting of our gifts. It's actually behind the hidden doors. It's it's every every time that you fold laundry, every time that you pick a piece of laundry up off the floor and you fold that and you bless your child or bless your husband. It's it's every time that you you sit on the phone at work and and the customer is like really railing you out and you just exude that kindness like that is the stuff that produces it's in the mundane moments of our life it isn't in the fly high moments it's in the mundane it's in the 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 every day and um th- th- earlier um this month uh, or last month uh this is what the lord called me to he said savannah i desire from you extravagant obedience in the Monday of every day. Because here's the deal, like we can have these moments where like in a great Maverick City music concert in Detroit, or we, you know, we, we go out to Kansas City, or we're in a really great worship service, and we can be like, Jesus, you can have it all. <laughs> or like, you know, like the pinnacle of like you walking and your calling, like whatever it is, like in, in, in those moments, you're like, yes, I can do this. And then you go home and you're like, I don't <laughs> Like, where did all the fruit go? But I feel like he's calling in this season for, like, it's in the, like, big moments that we want to be extravagant to Jesus, right? Like, (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but Ryan and I, like, we do a lot of scenario training when we're falling asleep at night. (laughs) I probably need a (laughs) so-so. So I, I have to do a lot of scenario training for my job, like a lot, like, okay, I'm going to have to have a conversation and like one of three things can happen. And like, if this thing happens and this needs to happen, like I've just gotten really good at scenario training in my head. And sometimes I go to like the extreme of scenario training where I'm like, Ryan, like it's the end of the age and like Armageddon is happening. <laughs> this is what being married to me is like, like. Because I just, I'm such a, like, if I can know all of my options and, like, have a pre-plan for each one of those options, like, I feel like I'm better inclined to, like, thoughtfully respond instead of emotionally react. (laughs) So, in my head, I'm like, if I can play this scenario out, like, I will know. (laughs) And I'm like, so there's one of two things. Like, they're either going to drag you out into the front lawn and shoot you, or they're going to drag me out of the front lawn and shoot me. And I really, like, there is a scripture in Revelation that talks about, like, there is a special seating section in heaven for martyrs and they get like they get clothes that nobody else gets (laughs) and I would really like me and all of my like Enneagram threeness would really like to end up in the martyr section so the only plausible way for me to get there is to like scenario train this thing out so I'm like okay they drag you out and they're like Savannah we're gonna kill you if if Ryan doesn't I'm like whatever you do 
Like, if they have a gun to my head and they say that they're going to kill me, like, I'm going to wake up and be with Jesus. Like, don't deny Jesus. And he's like, you know, like, can we go to sleep? <laughs> but here, here's the reality. Like, that's, that's where we give our attention when we think about extravagant obedience, right? Like, I want to be extravagantly obedient to Jesus in that moment that, like, really matters. Like, I want to, in my leadership, like, I, in the moments that really matter. But Jesus says this, Savannah, I want extravagant obedience in the mundane of your life. Because it's actually the mundane of our life, like, in, in, the, in the garden, in the backyard of our life where no one else sees that, that goodness and kindness and gentleness and self-control, help us, Jesus, are being cultivated. It's in that place. And so when that time comes and we need, we're not reaching for all of this like self-help mustering, but actually like we're just taking out the fruit of our lives and, and, and we're eating the goodness that Jesus has given. As I was reading through Exodus, I had this like really, really um, like marking moment in Exodus 33. So right before Exodus 33, like Israel screws up bad. Like if we think that we screwed up bad, like you should go read about Exodus. It will make you feel much better about the situation that we're currently in right now because like they royally screwed up like bad. Like Moses is on the mountain. They had like, they're literally encamped at the feet of God Moses is on the mountain and they get antsy and like royal screw up. And God's like, I, like I'm done. I'm, and he basically says, he's, you're going to go to the promised land and I'm going to stay here. And I'm not, I'm not going with you because of how bad Israel screwed up. So Moses goes back up the mountain. And I believe like it's very clear that Moses had an apostolic calling and they also walked and just this blessed gift of intercession. Like he understood the, the joy of interceding, of standing and, and, and interceding on behalf of people. So with these two gifts, he makes his way back up to the mountain in, in this bold, borderline rude conversation. I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know if I would have said some of those things. He basically is like, God, these are your people. Like, these are your people. They're not my people. They're your people. <laughs> and he said, like, and you know what? If you're not going, we're not going. <laughs> like, man, come on. And what does God do? He changes his mind. And, like, for me, that is the, like, pinnacle of, like, when we walk in our gifts. Like, can you imagine how Moses must have, like, close your eyes. And think about your standing on the mountain with the very presence of God. And like you just convinced God to change his mind. And he, and, he, and, he, and he does it. Like, man, those are the moments where like we just come alive when we see those gifts flowing out and we see the transformation and the change in the kingdom because of our obedience. Like, and it's okay for us to feel those things like because we were created for that level of greatness. We were made for that. But then Moses does something that just when I read it, it absolutely 
just destroyed me. Like, he could have been like, all right, God, like, thanks. Like, I've done my job. And, like, he's on this high of just seeing God, like, change his mind. And, and what does Moses do? He says, God, show me your glory. See, Moses wasn't content with an infatuation of walking in the, in the gifts and the call on his life. He wasn't content with that. There was a discontentment in him that caused him to not leave that mountain, but to go like he had already pushed the limit. But this discontentment in his heart was, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. And friends, I think sometimes we can get so wrapped up with purpose and calling and assignment and gifts and and even fruit that where we leave the presence of God and we're like I'm good like I feel like you know I I I interceded and I got an answer or I got a word but who are the ones that are like Moses that that's not enough that say God thank you Thank you for shifting. Thank you for changing. Thank you for moving. But I need to see you. And this is where God wrapped it up for me. Jesus says in the New Testament, in that day, there are going to be a lot of people who say, God, I did all these things for you. I prophesied. I I cast out demons. And in what is the most sobering piece of scripture, Jesus says this, but I didn't know you. So as we're in this place of encounter, what's the purpose of encounter? Is it so that we can walk out of here and say that we prophesied or that we saw healings or that we gave a really great sermon or a really encouraging word those things are awesome and we were created to live in them we were created to desire them but if counter is all for that then friends I fear will end up just like our friends in the New Testament Is it just for us to self-improve, to be a better person, to be a little bit nicer, or to be a little bit more patient? Those are great desires to have. I don't know about you, but I'm in a place where I want to encounter the one true living God in a way that my life is forever changed. And Bridget, if you want to come back up, I'm going to end with this story because I think it, it, it really catapults us into why this is so necessary. First of all, that we would know him. What a joy to be able to know him and that we would be known by him. What a joy. Do you know that in his total sovereignty that God has actually chosen 
to not know things about you so that he can know things about you. Do you know that there is Old Testament scripture that even talks about God saying, I never considered that, a, that they would do X, Y, and Z. Add it to your list. I don't know. <laughs> Ask him when you get up there. But he chooses in his infinite ability <laughs> to know, he chooses to not know so that he can know because he's so infatuated with wanting to be known and wanting to know us. And the last is that, that we would make him known. But we can't make him known if he doesn't know us and we don't know him. A few uh, years ago, the Pregnancy Center acquired a brand new building. Some of you guys have heard this story. And, um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time praying about the ministry that would take place in that building. And um, the building is super unique location and it's actually right next door to our abortion facility here and um you know we we knew that god wanted us to take care of men and women who had had abortions that as the church we haven't done that super well and we knew that god was calling us right to the back door of the abortion facility to receive those who had walked through that decision because that's what jesus would do he's not just at the front door he's at the back door too but we were there one night cleaning. And um, previous to this, God had just like totally undone me through a series of nine months. Not, <laughs> no coincidence. Of really understanding who I am in the Lord. Like brought Lou Engle to Toledo, like specifically just to tell me <laughs> who I am in the Lord. Like only God can do that. And just understanding like, this from my namesake to who I was created to be like broke orphan spirit off of me and I'm coming kind of off the mountain of that that revelation in, in that season and I'm in the haven which is this this ministry building and the workers had gone home and I was sweeping the floor and the room has this like really beautiful bay window that like it deserves like an ocean view or a mountain view the view is the back door of an abortion facility um, and in the quiet, for the first time in my life, I heard the audible voice of God say, Savannah, I brought you here to teach you how to love your neighbors as yourself. Wow. And we've just been on this gnarly mission of loving people that work at the abortion facility. And like, like some of my favorite people in the world, like it's just been a joy, like not monsters hiding under a bed, like just some of the greatest people sometimes greater than, than my Christian friends, JK, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> but here was the reality, like I could have never been ready to learn to love my enemies until I knew how to love myself. I could never be ready to love those that I felt like I was in bitter opposition to and to make him known. Like, that's gnarly. Like, God, you want to make yourself known to people that feel so outside of, like, their fists are raging <laughs> towards the Lord. But if I wouldn't have known him and if I wouldn't have allowed him to know me, then I wouldn't have been ready for an assignment to make him known. The hardest in the dark. 
Do you want to be used by the Lord? Then come and burn. That's the invitation tonight. It's to come and to lay yourself on the altar. To recognize that there's nothing in ourselves that can muster up. And that's good news. The good news of the gospel is that we don't have to muster up. That we get to see striving. That it's not person management and character management and self-improvement. It's just an invitation to come and die. (laughs) To come and to lay ourselves in the altar that our lives would be a sweet incense to him. As we end tonight, I just believe that that's the encounter that he wants to give us tonight. And if you're ready, you can say, show me your, show me your glory. And do you know what God's response was? I'll let my goodness pass before you. I'll let my goodness pass before you. The character that he wants to reveal to us is his goodness. Because everything about him is good. Everything about him is good. And I was just reading in a commentary that unfortunately sometimes we feel like God's goodness is like the yin to the yang of God's judgment. But that's not the case. God's judgment is his goodness. God's wrath is his goodness. God's discipline is his goodness. God's withholding is his goodness. God's blessing is his goodness. He's good. Everything he does is good. And I just believe if we tarry in this place just for a moment, not because we want to do cool things for Jesus, although we will. If we come, if you come and light yourself on fire on the altar of God's presence, I promise you that you're going to do some wild things for God. Wild things for God. He's going to send you right into the enemy camp and he's going to, he's going to give you best friends with the, with the people that you thought you'd never be able to love. He might send some of you to the nations. Some of you guys are going to see dead people come back to life. You're going to start ministries. You're going to raise children that are going to change the world. You're going to see cancer healed. We're going to see this city completely revitalized with the dream of God that he had from this city's conception. We're going to do incredible, incredible things for God. But friends, you won't be content. Because we were made for one thing and one thing only. We were made to gaze upon his beauty. He gave us eyes so that we could see him in his beauty. He is altogether beautiful. There is no one like Jesus. He is the most beautiful thing you will ever gaze on in your entire life. He gave you a mouth to be able to utter praise and thanksgiving and adoration to him. He gave you all of your senses to be able to experience him in everything that he is. He gave you hands to be able to touch him. Everything in our being was created for encounter with Jesus. And out of the overflow of that place, we're going to do lots of great things. 
And the last thing I'll say is this. I feel like God is saying, I have your attention. I have your attention, but can I have your affection? Jesus, we just want to love you. Jesus, we just want to love you. Right now, we just set our affections on you, God. We just say that this is our success. It is to be loved and to love you. And would you just grant us, God, the grace to be able to crawl up on the altar and to set our lives on fire with fiery devotion for you, God. I just, if you can just in your mind's eye, if you can just imagine the cross. And on the cross, I want you to, I want you to see Jesus. And I want you to look into his eyes. Come on, those were not eyes of judgment, they were eyes of love. Jesus, would you just set us on fire with the fiery affection of your love? Thanks for listening. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at office at washingtonchurch.org or go to our website, washingtonchurch.org.